up, everybody? We back. R2C2. Another week. What's good, guys? I have to compliment you. That's what's good. You did a wonderful job without me last week, man. <laughs> Had Jason start. Yeah. I enjoyed your guys' conversation very much. I used it as a uh, means of prep for uh, my first spring training game the other day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that. That, um, yeah. that uh, first yes game. How was it? You know what? It, what's really interesting is you can feel the pitch clock in the cadence of the broadcast. What I mean by that is normally, you know, when you do baseball, you're storytelling, you're discussing, you know, different narratives or, or different storylines, and you're then kind of leaning forward in the rocking chair for the action, right? Like that's how my mentor taught me baseball play-by-play was it's a rocking chair where you're leaning back and then all of a sudden you lean forward for the action, right? And it's very different than the cadence of, say, an NBA game where you're very much just on the action and the analysis of the play and then finding little pockets to quick squeeze in a storyline. It, it It's not obviously the base of the broadcast. Well, in this case, with baseball, it's always been you're telling stories, and all of a sudden, boom, you're just going to do a little action. Over the course of a baseball game, you're actually only doing maybe 10 to 15 minutes of play-by-play normally. But what I realized in that first spring game is it's not that cadence anymore. You're not able to just lean back and let the stories be the foundation of the broadcast and then just hit in with the play-by-play here or there. Now, obviously... I'm feeling that in a spring training game, and you're going to feel it even more in a regular season game because in a regular season game, each pitch is going to mean more, right? Yep. Like right now, you're not focusing on every pitch the way you would in a regular season game because it's spring training, you, you know, especially those late innings. Those late innings can be, boy, they could be tough. You don't to know navigate. who's in the yeah, game. Yeah. yeah, they could be so tough. But see, that was the thing that was most interesting to me was I actually felt it, and I was like, whoa, this already feels faster. Yeah, and it's great. I mean, you have to let the, the action dictate, you know, the broadcast, which is awesome. You know what I'm saying? That's yes. that's kind of that's kind of the intent of the rule is yeah. to have the action dictate, you know, what you're seeing on the TV and not, you know, have the the announcers be doing most of the carrying of the, you know, of the game, which is what what happens. You know yes. what I'm saying? So it's been uh, I watched a, a bit of your game the other day. Um, I watched three innings. But what's crazy is while you're watching a game, if you turn and you flip back, like I flipped back to the game and it was the eighth inning. You know what I'm <laughs> yeah. saying? Like, yeah. So, I mean, you really have to be locked in and watching the game because it's, everything is happening so fast and the action is is right in your face now. I love it. I, I love it, too. I've done two games thus far this spring, both this past week. I did Monday and I did Saturday. Saturday's game was a 14-10 Spring training game with five mid-inning pitching changes, which for those of you who follow spring training baseball, you know that normally your pitching changes are coming at the end of an inning. Mm -hmm. Usually they don't happen in the middle of an inning unless someone's pitch count gets far beyond what they were intending or someone really runs into trouble. To have five, and I might even be shorting it one or two, was a lot. And that game, a 14-10 game with that many pitching changes in spring, was sub three hours. It was two hours and 56 minutes. And Jack Curry and I are sitting there were like, this probably would, be, would have been a four-hour game if it wasn't for the pitch clock. 
Easy, man. And what's crazy is that even last night's game was a little slow. Yeah, it was a bad it, game. It was it a was horrible moving, baseball game. It was moving but, a little slow, but it was still under three hours. Yes, yes. You know See, what I'm saying? It's so true. It's so tr- it was 242. It was an it, awful game, boring as all could be, and it was still 242. It was still for so so think about that on a on a Tuesday night in the Bronx now, during the spring or the fall, you can now bring your kid to the game because the game starts at 630. It's over by 9, 15, 930 yeah. on a school night. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like families will be back at the ballpark now because of the pitch clock and, you know, moving, bumping up the games a half an hour. And with the pitch clock, you'll get more kids and families back at the park earlier in the season. I I absolutely think you should see. I think it becomes a more viable option. As a parent now, I appreciate that so much more yeah. because just if you say – Get my now. My daughter's not old enough where she could sit still for anywhere near that amount of time. But when you say, "Hey, we're gonna go do an activity, and it's gonna take two to two and a half to two hours and forty-five minutes," versus, well, it's gonna take probably at least three hours and ten minutes. It could take three forty. You know, like, it's like ah, uh, no, no, yeah. that, that doesn't work. I even feel it. See, just for myself, as someone who works games how much more relief I have felt mentally because my schedule has just been absolutely bonkers lately. Mm-hmm. And the relief I felt of knowing, oh, okay, at least before I have to wake up at 4 a.m. the next day to go to Houston, I know I'm not going to be on the air with the baseball game till 1030 at night because it's a 630 game and I, I know it's going to be quicker now. And it was. It was 242. And so I really feel like we're all going to benefit from it. Everybody's going to benefit from it, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> By July, everybody's going to love this shit. I'm telling you. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I I also like seeing more singles like we've seen. Absolutely. That Absolutely. has been That's been encouraging. Man, I was in camp uh, last week with the Yankees, and um, Hixie hit a ball. It was a home opener. Hixie hit a ball on the ground his first at bat, and I was like, damn. Like, in my head, I'm like, damn, double play. But not, you know, not knowing that the shift is, you know, illegal now, you know, it slipped my mind. Ball got through. I'm yeah. like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, these these balls that you're used to seeing, you know, on the ground in the infield, they're gonna be hits now. Balls up the middle, balls in the holes. Like, it's gonna uh, it's gonna change the game a lot, man. And I, and I'm here for it. It's a game that we watched as kids. You know what I'm saying? And and I think we're getting back to that. I'm excited for it. Uh, see, last year it was really interesting to me. I was noticing myself and what I would feel broadcasting a game when both starters were in and working quickly and rolling. And I I would say to myself, this is so fun. There's a rhythm to it. There's a cadence. There's a bounce. I f- it feels, it just feels good. And then the pens would come in mm-hmm. and things would slow down so much. And I almost inevitably, every single game, those late innings, I would be like, it's tough. Like it's tough getting through these late innings, and the relievers do tend to just work far more slowly than the starters. Obviously, there are some starters that work slowly as well, but the relievers do seem to work more slowly. And so I'm also happy that even though I'm sure the game's always going to slow down some naturally when you know you get into a bullpen, I'm glad that they're going to have to speed up because those late innings were tough to digest. Yeah, it got it got real bad, man. And especially, you know, depending on who the manager was, if a guy felt like this was their, you know, late inning situation, it could slow down in the fifth inning. 
Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. If yes. this is the spot where you think that you need to bring your guy in, like, then the game is just going to take from forever from there. So, yeah, I love that we have something in place that can, you know, it's going to speed these guys up for sure. And one thing I wanted to ask you about, you and Jason spoke last week for a while about Kevin Gosman, uh-huh. uh, Luis Garcia as well. They have the toe tap delivery mm-hmm. and their delivery, it's seen as a false start, mm-hmm. considered a ball. It's a ball, yeah. Yeah. So they can't do it anymore. But pitchers like Nestor, Johnny Cueto, they can utilize their funky deliveries because according to MLB, once they lift their front leg to begin their delivery, they can funk up the rest of the act however they want. So, yeah, see, what's your kind of feeling and interpretation of the differences there and and how it might affect these pitchers? No, I mean, I got a chance to talk to Gosman after we did the pod. Oh, Um, okay, great. I, I spoke to him actually the next morning. I was in Blue Jays camp and he just said, it, you know, he didn't even know that he was doing a toe tap so much. You know what I'm saying? He was just, he said that it's just something that became kind of like a habit. You don't know that you're doing it. And he was working to, you know, try to get his delivery, you know, on the legal side. So he wasn't that upset about it or, or, you know, freaked out about it. He was just, you know, he was just glad that, you know, they was giving him the time to work through it, to be honest. And, he like like he told me he was like man I didn't even realize I was doing that until you know these rules came out so he's working through that um, I seen Luis Garcia change his delivery up big time um, this is something that we talked about at MLB midway through last year if they were going to try to change these deliveries up I thought it would be hard to try to you know change Luis Garcia's delivery at the All Star break last year or even Gosman or some of these guys but. I think giving them the time for spring training, giving them the leeway to be able to figure their thing out, um, I think it's going to help. And and I love the fact that, you know, we're we're adhering to the rule now. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the rule. You know what I'm saying? And, and those deliveries were, were deceptive and, and, you know, trying to deceive the hitter. So um, these guys are, 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 will work through and figure out, you know, what will, you know, keep them on the legal side and not a balk every time and, uh, it didn't seem like they had a problem with it at all to me. I also have seen multiple balk calls when pitchers have not come to a full set. Yes. And that is along the same lines, right? Trying to deceive the runners. And it had gotten a little bit hairy. You had quite a few pitchers last year who, when they were in the stretch, never really were coming to a, a, a true stop and a true set. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, and it was the umpire's discretion. You know, if he does that every time, then – it's not a ball. Well, yeah, it's a fucking ball. I'm going to fuck how many times he does it in a row. It's a yeah. ball every time. Yeah. See, what about, I don't know if I've asked you this, but what is your role right now in the commissioner's office when it comes to these new rules and your communication between the commissioner's office and the players? Um, honestly, just just the communication. I got a call from Derek Shelton the other day about a pitch clock um, you know, situation and, you know, we're headed down there this week to go talk to the Pirates. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, we're just trying to work through this thing. Everything's fluid, and we're just trying to figure out um, what's going to be best for everybody, to be honest. And, and and everybody's trying to work through the rules and the times. And, you know, if the pitcher has to be involved in the play, when does the clock start? You know what I'm saying? To give him mm-hmm. enough time to get back to the mound. I was watching Domingo last night. I don't know if you if you noticed this, but when he needed extra time, he got to – he went, oh – 
He threw that fucking stupid fucking umpire. He threw that ball right down the middle. The guy called it a ball. Yes. He ended, yeah. he ended up walking the guy, right? Yes. But yeah, after it was O'Neill Cruz, I think. O'Neal yeah. Cruz. So after he walked O'Neill Cruz, he turned around before Trevino threw him the ball back. He walked back behind the mound, cleaned his cleats off, took a deep breath, gathered himself, and then called for the ball. So then his his time didn't start until he got the ball. So he oh. got a chance to take a deep breath, relax, do everything he needed to do, and then he asked for the ball back. I don't know if you noticed that last night. But I a didn't. Of times, that's a couple interesting. Of times he did that, and that's what you're going to have to do. It's not call for the ball back. Let the catcher hold it. Go walk back behind and do whatever you need to do, and then get the ball and the clock will start. Now, if a pitcher was doing that over and over and over again, then the umpire could do something about it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting. What what's interesting to me is, you know, baseball's a game with so many subtle nuances that you pick up on and you strategize about. And now there are these three new layers that are going to unravel naturally mm-hmm. as we watch games. Because obviously some of us can surmise or forecast ways in which these rules could be tweaked, manipulated, circumvented, whatever. But then there's other things that you're only going to really notice or feel once you actually see it playing out. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to be really interesting. See, there's one right there that maybe we wouldn't have thought about, but you see it happening in games like, oh, okay, that's one way where you can kind of skirt around it a little bit. And for fans, like for me, like for me being a former player, I want want the clock on the screen the whole time so I can see how a guy's reacting. You know what I'm saying? Like I want to see if you could tell if the clock's bothering a guy. If, yeah. it, if, if he's working within his rhythm. So that's why I want to, like I, I was saying last night, yeah. I would like for yes to have the clock up there the whole time just so you can see a guy, how he's working through it. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, yes. And you can tell if, if it's bothering him, if he's working too fast or if he needs time or any of those things, if, if you're just watching the game. Or I can anyway, you know, by watching the game. I agree with you. I want the clock up there all the time as well. It it. I think we do at Yes want that as well. But mm-hmm. right now, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's a technical issue with the feeds or what. for whatever reason, we get it at seven seconds, not more than that. So you'll see it pop up on the score bug when it's at seven seconds. I do think once the season starts, it's advantageous to always have it up there, just like you know a shot clock. But see, it's funny. Because C and I were like doing our own broadcast last night. C texts me. He goes, where's the pitch clock? I want it. So then I'm on the air and I go, for those of you wondering where the pitch clock is, <laughs> it's up. It, it, then, it, it will appear and, on the score bug once it hits seven text, seconds. I'm like, no, I want it up there all yeah, the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we just had a back and forth conversation. You texting and me using the microphone. It's hilarious. And then the other thing I brought up that you had texted me, C, is the comparisons to Anthony Volpe. I don't know if you were listening still when I brought that up. That no, I missed, when you that, away. I missed that. But I just said I I was talking about, forget what made me initially bring it up, but I, I referenced yeah. I, I referenced you saying, hey, CeCe was just telling me, stop putting so much pressure on this kid. The comparisons need to stop. And I, I said... Hey, I didn't compare him to Derek Jeter and Don Mattingly. Willie Randolph did. (laughs) (laughs) But it's interesting, see, because he, look, in spring, we're all clamoring for stories to write, and you don't really have the games to go off of the same exact way, 
right? You're, yeah. you're getting to know people. You're you're making, you know, you're you're building off of maybe less information than you are during the regular season. But what has been interesting is how every single person who talks about Anthony Volpe, I made this comparison last night. It's like when someone asks you to write their college recommendation and you've been dying to glow about this person. And you're so thrilled that you get to tell someone who doesn't know them how great they are. That's what it's like hearing people talk about Anthony Volpe, whether it's you know Al Leiter who saw him as a kid playing with Jack or it's you know Damon Oppenheimer or it's Kevin Reese or it's Brian Cashman or it's you know his teammates from college who whoever it is even his teammates now the way they talk about him it just feels like that makeup factor that we've heard about forever is a very obvious tool in the bag of Anthony Volpe that sort of catches everybody's attention yeah no nah, for sure i mean it's just for me like it just puts so much pressure on the I kid know. when you start comparing them to Derek and Dom. Like, we was, I mean, we wasn't com- comparing Derek, uh, Aaron Judge to none of these guys. You know what I'm saying? No. He ended up, he ends up turning into the captain. So, like, when you put these expectations on these kids like this, like, what if he just turns out to be a really good shortstop, couple all star games? Like, can we be okay with that? Like, does he need to be the next captain for everybody to be satisfied? Like, can he just be our shortstop and like play and make some all-star games and and like be a, a player first before we start like comparing him to these damn near Hall of Fame players? You know what I'm saying? Like, yes, Judge yes. didn't come up with none of that expectation. He turned into what he turned into, but like nobody expected him to be the captain. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, it just sucks when like I remember watching Jason Hayward's first game. He had a he had a home run his first at bat. They start comparing him to Hank Aaron. Like, come on, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like, where do you go? Like, when you start comparing Volpe to Derek Jeter, where does he go? Where can you go? Nowhere but but fucking to the the bottom of the earth from there. (laughs) Like, there's nowhere to go, guys. Like, it's just, I I know, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I, I, I know what you're saying because what you're saying is this kid. For, forget whether or not he can handle the comp or not, because he seems to be the kind of kid who absolutely can I'm, handle I this mean, kind of and, stuff. And, and our, but, our mutual friend Matt Nimer, he's told me a bunch of times that he can handle the comp. It's no yes, problem. I yes. just don't. I just don't like it because there's nowhere for the kid to go. Yeah. Well, all right. Because then you're framing his success through: is he as good as these Hall of Famers? Come rather on, than, rather than is he just a really good major league player? Yeah, you're you're right. I, I, this reminds me of entrepreneurs because they'll say the biggest issues they always have is falling short of their own projections. Like when it comes to, you know, you're building a business and then you're fundraising and it's, well, why didn't you hit these projections? It's like you were the person who made those projections, right? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. It, and it kind of in this case, it's like, but there may not be an actual issue with the business itself. And in this case, it's similar in that, Anthony Volpe could be a 290 hitter with a 360 on base percentage who steals 30 bags a year and hits 15 home runs and plays a really good shortstop. And that'd be a really good major leaguer. We need that. Yes. Like that, that, yes. that, that, that would put us over the top, guys. I, you know what I'm saying? I kind of want them to just start them from opening day, see? I don't think it's going to happen. I don't know. They, because of the options and because he just hasn't played enough AAA? I think just because of the options, honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I think that's the only reason. Like, I just think because of the options. Like, I haven't seen Peraza play at all this this uh, this spring. But I mean, like you, like I, I think they should just let yeah. him play. Yeah. Like he's he obviously can handle it. Like he's not overmatched. Yeah. At, at 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 nowhere at shortstop in the plate in the clubhouse around the team. Like he's not overmatched. So let him play. That's how I feel now. You if know, we they, watched him last night and he didn't look good, he was overmatched, and like you can tell, he's a big league player by watching last night. Yeah, he's. I agree. Everything about him looks like a big league player. It just yeah. does. And I, there's also a part of me that would like them to do that because it would feel like a departure from the way they've been operating. And to me, that would spark some energy and excitement about the season. Now, I'm also going to be excited if it's Peraza because. He seems Same. To be, he's young too. Yeah, yeah. and a, he seems to be a wizard defensively. I'd love to see them both in there somehow, but I would really, really, I would love to see Volpe in there. Maybe, maybe it doesn't make total sense when he's only played twenty games at AAA, and you have other Man, that options. Shit don't matter. But, Mike Harris came up last year after. Yeah. you know what I'm saying. And that's his what guys, I think about seeing that changed Atlanta season. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I would love to just see him there. He seems ready to me. I'm, I'm in agreement. You know, one more Yankee thing. See, um, Aaron Judge playing some left field. One thing that I think is maybe underrated about Judge is his willingness to move around. You know, last year him playing center field saved the season for a while, and his willingness to play left field now it'd be very easy for Aaron Judge to be like, hold on a second. I am a gold glove capable right fielder. He should have had a, a gold glove by now. He don't have he, a gold glove? No. Damn. Yeah, he should have a couple by now. He doesn't have one. When you consider that there was a year where Clint Frazier got nominated and Aaron Judge did not. Clint Frazier got nominated for a gold glove? In 2020. He never yep. played a whole season. How the fuck he, he get nominated in for the, a gold in glove? The, in the uh, pandemic year, he got nominated for a gold glove. <laughs> yes. fucking hilarious. That is hilarious. <laughs> and Aaron Judge has never gotten nominated for a gold glove. So, like, you know that there's something left to be desired in that process. But anyway, see, you know what I'm saying? He could he could easily be like, I hit 62 home runs. This is my position. I don't want to. But he is a team guy who's going to take it on. That's not him, man. That's yeah. like, it doesn't even surprise me that he's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, He's just going to do whatever he needs to do to help the team win. And yeah. no matter what kind of season he had or, you know, go glove capable right fielder, it doesn't matter. If they need him to play fucking third base, he'll try to play third base. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just who he is, and that's why he's the captain. Hmm. How was the vibe down there in Tampa? Did you have a good time? I did, man. I played a lot of golf. <laughs> so I had a great time. It was awesome. Uh, spring training for me, man, like, I'm 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 not a coach, guys. Like I'm not cut out to be a coach. No. A lot of standing around. I love like I love getting some time with Gator, but it's just a lot of standing around, bro, and like kind of just hanging out. So yeah, nah. No 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 coaching, no time. We we talked about this all the time, but no no coaching, no time soon. In my Did you future, provide bro. any wisdom while you were down there? Um, TV shows. Yeah, I, I hooked up some guys with some shows and shit. You know what I'm saying? Like. <laughs> Letting guys know. I'm what thinking about watch. pitching and the wisdom <laughs> you're providing is I let them know what TV shows to watch. Let them know what to watch, guys. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, hey, shit. we got to get C down in camp. Oh, you having a problem with your cutter? No, I just no. need a really good show to watch. You need some recommendations for TV. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> that is. No, nah, it was good. It was good seeing Sevy, seeing Rodon down there, um, getting to see Cole. Um, he looks really relaxed and it seemed like they're the the um the staff, the the pitching staff seems to be really close. Oh, the starter. Um Nestor nice. and Sevy and Cole and you know Rondon. I think uh I think it's a it's a good group of guys. I, I mean feels relaxed. You know what good. I'm saying? Like it doesn't feel uptight. Feels like these guys know what they need to do um to get over the hump. And the hump is Houston. Um you know, I got a chance to see one of my um, good friends, a kid from my hometown, Willie Calhoun, is in camp with the Yankees, so I got a chance to hang with him. Um, so hang, hung out with Hixie, played golf with Swish. It was a good, played golf with Rory McIlroy, guys. Oh, it was that, a good week. It was a good week. That is amazing. What was it like? First of all, one thing on Willie Calhoun. Yesterday, Jack asked me, he's like, you know where Willie Calhoun's from? And I was like, I don't. He's like, well, you your podcast partner, oh, you Will, know that, Vallejo. Guys. And I was like, wow, yeah. that's how played, we got into your text to me. Now I'm remembering. I played Legion ball with his uncle. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's a, Calhoun. Hey, he's having a great spring. That little motherfucker hit, bro. He can, like, <laughs> like, he can swing it, guys. Like, he always, yeah. he's always been able to hit. He's, at, he, he can, he's having he can a spring. Hit, so what was it like playing with Rory? Oh, I was in, it was so much fun. Yeah. He was so cool and... Like, just makes you feel relaxed and everything. Everybody kept asking me, was I nervous? But, like, you know, like, I don't I don't put a lot of stock into my golf game. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, like, if I hit a bad shot, I really don't give a fuck. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't get that mad. So, like, I wasn't nervous at all. Like, I was going out there, like, to, like, this ain't my sport. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, yeah. I'm, I'm coming out here to have fun. So, it was, uh, it was cool. So, you had to pick up at bogey. So you play the hole, and then if you get the bogey, then you pick your ball up. So you don't, you're not wasting time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I finished I, the eleven out of eighteen holes, guys. Wow. So yeah. So That's I good, 11, man. Yeah, I finished eleven out of the eighteen. The, so you were either so eleven of eighteen holes. You were either birdie, par, or bogey. A bogey. Yeah. That's good, man. That's See, that's good for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm just imagining pick up at bogey. Okay, so I am just going to be. Picking up the entire <laughs> round. That's what I'm doing. Okay. I actually don't mind that. Like, there are times when I'm on a hole and it's gone sideways, I'm just like, let oh, me bro, spare myself. If me and you are out there with the yeah. group chat and I fucking yeah. snap hook some shit and then hit yeah. the next shot bad, I'm done for that. I'm picking yeah. up my phone. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll be on the next P-Box. Yes, I am this, I'm the same way. No, play. you could play it out. No, I don't want to play it I out. I don't want to play it I, out. I'm done playing it out. Plus, these yeah. people behind us looking at us like, fuck yeah. that. I don't want to keep getting yeah, exactly. shots in the same spot. No, right, exactly. I don't want them to see me hit my third shot into the woods <laughs> on this hole. I'm with you. I am totally with you. See, I wanted to um, bring up some things that happened in NFL free agency when it came to quarterbacks. Yeah. And I, I am so confused at the Derek Carr contract with the Saints. And here's why I'm confused. He gets a, a four-year deal worth up to $150 million. Mm -hmm. It's $100 million in guarantees. 60, 60 signing. Yes, yeah, 60 at signing. In his career, he's 63 and 79 as a starter. Last year, statistically, was his worst season since his rookie year. The Raiders went 6-9 and nine with him. The Raiders... Now I, were, was there a different dynamic that led to that divorce beyond his 
not playing well? Because here's the thing that's confusing to me, see? I, I mean, I know things felt a little weird in there between him and the Raiders, but franchises are desperate for quarterbacks, as we can see from that contract with the Saints, right? But the Raiders are desperate for a quarterback, too. The Raiders don't have some obvious answer. So what are the Saints seeing that the Raiders are giving up on that the Saints are willing to give that kind of money for a guy that a franchise that needs a quarterback wants nothing to do with anymore. Yeah, this is gonna sound this is gonna sound bad, but it, it's he's it, like he, they're looking at his numbers, like his his career numbers, not his wins, like yeah. how many how many yards he's thrown for for a season, all his touchdowns and all these different things, and all the bad numbers they blame on the Raiders, right? Like him being sixty nine and sixty three, they blame that on the Raiders defense. You right. know what I'm saying? Like none of that shit is his fault. Like any of the interceptions, that's the Raiders that they have bad receivers. He just throw, you know what I mean? Like yep. they all they give him the benefit of the doubt more than anybody I've ever seen in my life as at a quarterback. And for me, like being a Raider fan, I watch the games. Like his numbers, they're all like garbage minute. Like you know what I'm saying? It's almost like it's it's like when David Lee was the, with the Knicks and he was a double double. You yeah. know, like somebody got to score the points to get the rebounds because like he's playing quarterback in the NFL. He's gonna he's gonna throw some touchdowns. Like the score may be thirty five to seven. And those 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 touchdowns count when he, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm. so it's all it's like his his numbers are all just garbage garbage time numbers to me because yeah. they none of them have, have none of them have ever meant anything. So that's why, as a Raider fan or the Raiders organization, it's easy for us or them to give up on him because we've seen it for ten years, bro. Like yeah. we like we watched it. So uh, I have no problem with them moving on, trying to get to Aaron Rodgers. Maybe getting to Anthony Richardson, moving up, trading. I saw he had a great combine, a quarterback from Florida. Um, but any option is better than the Derek Carr option that we had for the last nine years. So nothing about watching him. You didn't ever feel yourself saying, no, this guy's a really good quarterback. You know me, bro. Not No. <laughs> All right. No. Yeah. Not I'm at very... any point. Like, yeah. I mean – Maybe that year that he broke his back, that 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 year that he had when he broke his back, yeah, but that yeah. season he was he was really good that year. Then he broke his back, and then after that it was, it's been all this. Is it? It's it's amazing to me that he got this kind of deal. I thought he'd get someone kind of taking a flyer on him, where he's paid significantly below market, still paid a lot because he's a quarterback no, in the NFL. But, but instead, you, he gets a hundred million guaranteed. Yeah, but you got to think though, because he's a proven NFL quarterback. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and a lot of teams need quarterbacks right now. Yeah. A lot of teams think that they're a quarterback away from being in the playoffs. And you know, the NFC South is not very good. No, no. You know what I'm saying? So if you get a good enough quarterback, you feel like you can win that division easily. Well, he's probably the best quarterback in that division now. Right now, yeah, he yeah. is. Yeah. It's interesting though, because in sports, I often think the thing that hamstring strings a fan a franchise most is the player who you have to pay they're good they're just good enough to break your heart. Well, you have you have to pay a certain amount, but you know they're never gonna get you over the top. Can I tell you you about to go through it? Yeah. Daniel Jones. Oh, you're about to know. go through it, cuz. My guy Daniel, he might <laughs> yeah. be good enough. He might okay. be good enough, see. We're about to he might find be good out. enough. We, we, we might... We're about to find out. Hey, cause... you started to come around on my guy Daniel. All this right, year. well, you got to pay him because he's starting to come around. 
Yeah. So you're about to find but, out right now. But, but you are right. Like, look, we even saw it with the Ravens after they won the Super Bowl with Flacco, right? Like, yep. if you – and we see it in the NBA all the time, all the time, where you pay a guy max money, and he's good, but he's not a max player. And those kind of players end up hamstringing your cap. And, you know, it's not – it doesn't have to be something – as overtly bad as a Ben Simmons contract, right? Mm -hmm. It can be uh, a contract for a guy who's a good NBA starter, but you don't feel great about paying him $35 million a year because now it takes away from everywhere else. And, I, you know, I even think there are players like Carl Anthony Towns who's making the max and obviously has that kind of talent, but is that is that is him on a max contract winning you a championship right yeah. and like and there's those kind of but the, but that's just kind of like what the market dictates right like yeah. he's very good but could he be at 30 million a year instead of 45 50 right same kind of thing i think with Derek carr like okay like you'd like to have him but wouldn't you feel a lot better about what you could build around him if you could get him for 20 than then you know 150 you need, million over four years because you, you need pieces to win with him Yes, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. He, he, he's not going to win you a championship alone. Exactly. That's my point. Whereas, like, okay, if you have KD and Devin Booker, you're like, all right, we'll, we'll figure out what we can play. I don't out. give a damn who yeah. else is. Like, it, just exactly. give me the ball past half court. Yeah, you know what exactly. I'm saying? exactly. <laughs> we'll, fi we'll figure out the rest. We'll, we'll figure it out. Um, the other one, see, and I think this is a really great story, and it's Geno Smith. Um, oh. it, I mean, for him to get a three-year deal – Worth up to 105 million. You're coming off a Pro Bowl, won Comeback Player of the Year, outperformed Russell Wilson, led the Seahawks to the playoffs, played well in the playoff game, even though they lost. Um, he also, his first 10 seasons, he earned 17.5 million total in his first 10 seasons, which obviously in life is very nice. In the NFL, that's you know a meager amount for a quarterback over 10 seasons. So he is going to get more than that, more than double that in his first year of this new contract. This is a guy who wasn't a starter for six years, see? Man. It's such an amazing story. It just makes you feel great. It's pretty cool. And then, and then like, the, the, the clip of him going, like, that viral clip after the very first game. Yeah. They wrote me off, but I didn't write back. You know what I'm saying? And then to be able to sign a $103 million contract at the end of that year is amazing, man. It's It's crazy to be able to – to watch his journey, you know what I mean? Like, he was highly touted coming out of West Virginia, coming here to New York. It's a tough market, you know what I'm saying? Going through all the stuff he went through in the locker room. And then to be able to, to find his way as a backup, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and you know, find his way out in Seattle and, you know, kept his head. I mean, kept his head up and, you know, nose clean and and knew that he was going to be the guy once. Russ, I mean, I I had a dinner with DK in the offseason. DK, DK Metcalf. Metcalf. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I asked him, I was like, now that Russ going, who, who's going to be your quarterback? And he was like, Gino. And I was like, you sure? He was like, I'm <laughs> telling you, Gino. And all the guys believed in him. You know what I'm saying? So it's cool to be able to see him, you know, come, you know, through all of that stuff he did in the last 10 years to be able to get a, ten, uh, to get a $100 million contract is amazing. I, I also think it's a good reminder of the stories behind each one of these guys. And Jack and I have alluded to it a little bit during spring training. You know, you see someone like Willie Calhoun trying to make a major league roster, right? Whoever it might be, you know, all of these guys who you're watching who you don't know that much about, it's, you know, it's someone's 
husband, father, provider, whatever, trying to make a living, trying to rejuvenate a dream, trying to get back something they had. If we really, and you feel it when you watch a doc series like Full Swing, right? And just the individual stories of each of these golfers. Think about the individual stories of some of these guys and their journeys, and it's incredible. And Geno Smith is one of those stories where it is incredible he's gotten back to this point, and I think we all just feel great. I saw him get that contract, and I was like, that is awesome. Good for yeah. him, man. Good I think every him. I think everybody felt good about him getting paid. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, that's pretty cool. Really cool. See, want to hit a couple NBA notes. Um, I had that Nick Celtics game the other night. Called it with uh, JJ and, and RJ and, and Katie George, double overtime game at TD Garden. But for I had three Celtics games last week. I and they were all really good. Uh Celtics Cavs. Uh They Nets, lost all three of those too. They they beat the Cavs. Oh, they beat they the Cavs. They beat the Cavs, yeah. They did. They, oh, they lost they just they lost lo- to the Cavs. They just last lost night. the Cavs, yeah, in yeah. Cleveland. They beat him in Boston. <laughs> Nets Cavs, where the Nets overcame a twenty eight point deficit, and Mikel Bridges had another huge game. And then Knicks I mean Nets Celtics, where they overcame the twenty eight point deficit. And then Knicks Celtics, where Double overtime, playoff atmosphere. TD Garden is probably my favorite arena to call games in in the NBA. It's definitely top two or three if it's not number one, but just because the crowds are so consistently awesome, so engaged, always loud, doesn't matter who the opponent is. That night, it was it was electric. See, I don't know if you got to see any of that game Sunday night, but oh my goodness, it was an incredible basketball game. And it gives you a little window into what the product is when – there's a regular season game with stakes and everybody's going after it. I mean, Emmanuel quickly paying 55 minutes, career high, 38 points. It was awesome. And this Knicks team, it's a very likable group. They play their asses off and they're on this winning streak. Now they're surging up the Eastern conference standings. This city is going to be alive come playoff time with what this team has shown during the regular season. Now they may end up getting their expectations set too high and start having dreams about knocking off a Milwaukee. And this team is not in a place (laughs) where I think that's fair, but can this team get to a second round now? Yeah, they could. They could. You think they could beat Cleveland if it stays like this? I think they could. I don't know that they will, but I think they could. That wouldn't surprise me. I don't think there's anything delusional about saying, Hey, this is a Nick team that we could see in the second round. And then if they're there, could they could they play a really tough series? Like it's always hard for me to envision a team without you know the obvious star power that those top 3 teams have in the East beating one of them, beating Milwaukee, Philly or Boston. But it wouldn't totally shock me if they gave a Philly a really hard series. I was about to say, out of those three, I think Philly is the one that can be beat. Yeah, yeah. In the East, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and and the other thing is because, you know, Jalen Brunson may not have been the, you know, white whale that the Knicks have been clamoring for in free agency forever. He wasn't the name. He didn't have the story, but but he has played like it. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I guess he was. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, he and even like going back into last, offseason you know even me and you thought they could have made some changes you know they built up the culture we thought you know they could have let randall walk and different things and mm-hmm. and they didn't they kept him but they they knew that they needed a point guard because he was playing point forward all last year so to get Jalen brunson 
I think is uh he's been the white whale that the Knicks didn't didn't know they needed. <laughs> Remember when people were talking about, oh my gosh, you paid 104 million for Jalen Brunson, and now that deal is an unbelievable bargain. Yeah, Jalen Brunson, since what is the number? I think it's calendar year. I think it's calendar year. It's either calendar year or it's since early December has averaged 28 points on like 50 percent from the floor and 40 percent from three I mean he JJ Reddick said this the other day on his pod and then he said it in our broadcast said the only guard in the NBA who's played better than Jalen Brunson in 2023 is Damian Lillard that is the only guard and it's true so it's like mm -hmm. you almost just have to reframe your mind because if someone was just to your point before about Volpe and expectations if if somebody was just if Kyrie Irving was putting up the numbers that Jalen Brunson's putting up. Uh, we're just saying like, oh my gosh, this is a star playing like a star. He's capable of anything with this team. You know, that's the kind of production that Jalen Brunson's had over an extended period of time. Now, plus, great culture fit, great leader. And what you said before is so key, see, he puts Randall in spots to just score. And then Julius Randall's so much better because where he got into trouble was those you know brutal isolation possessions where he's trying to navigate and he coughs it up, he dribbles the air out of the ball, he turns it over. Well, he doesn't have to do that anymore because of Jim that was Robinson. all last year. That was all last year because he came off the good twenty twenty, and then it was all last year where he was just trying to create, and yeah. it, you know he would come down and try to isolate, and like you said, it'd be a turnover, and then he's walking back, and then it's just like. It was just it, it was just the atmosphere in the in the culture of last year was not good. No. It's um it's amazing what they've built. It, it's it's going to be really fun watching them in the playoffs and the in the energy they have, the excitement around it. Um see one other hoops thing wanted to give you a chance to talk about was the situation with John Morant, which is evolving uh, as we speak. Mm -hmm. We know he's away from the team for the time being. He put out a statement saying he's going to seek help what are your thoughts and your perspective on what you're seeing ja deal with go through man just praying for the young man man it's it's uh you know it's tough when you know going through these situations like this and you know he made he's been making a few mistakes and you know had some run-ins and you know had shannon sharp on his on his behind and you know this time he's you know made a huge mistake having a gun on on his instagram live and you know, maybe trying to deal with his stress in ways that, you know, uh, isn't healthy, you know what I mean, for anybody. So, um, you know, I went through the same things when I was young, his age, um, being young, you know, uh, for me, it was coming out of the hood and, and you know, not having any money and, and, you know, first time getting paid and, you know, everybody's coming out the woodworks, you know what I'm saying? Like you got friends that you didn't know that, you know, cousins that you didn't know you had, all these different people. These hanger hanger owners just want to be around. Um, same situation, and you know the. I think it was April of my my April of my second season after my rookie year. I ended up in a situation where I got robbed, and it changed my life. Like I used to, I was same same thing. I was young. I was carrying guns all the time. At that particular time, I didn't have a gun on me. I ended up getting robbed, and that night, bro, like my life changed. Like that was the night I called Amber. I asked her to move out from San Diego to Cleveland with me and everything changed. So um, for me watching Ja go through this, man, is he's so he's young. He's not so young, but he's young. 
and he can change his ways. I just, it's crazy to me to watch all these people on TV and, you know, whether it's ESPN or whatever, just try to kill this guy about him making a mistake. You know what I'm saying? Like it, we all make mistakes. We're all young. Um, you know, he has plenty of time to, to, to write this ship and, you know, I hope he gets the help and seeks the help that he needs. And he's a tremendous basketball talent. We all know that he's just got to get his thing straight off, off the court. And, you know, it's plenty of time for him to do that. We've all been through it, whether it's myself, Steven Jackson, AI, whoever else, you know what I'm saying? Like we, we all go through the shit, especially, you know, growing up the way we did. So, um, you know, he, he'll be fine is, is, is what I think. Yeah. I thought, uh, Jalen Rose, I really liked his perspective on it when he talked about it on Countdown the other day. And he was talking about situations when he was a young player. See, you just talked about people coming out of the woodwork. Once you get your contract, you start making money. How hard is it to, I don't know if it's cut people off or yeah. box them out. How difficult is that process? No, that's extremely hard to be able to, to pick your circle. Especially when you're that young, because you think everybody has good intentions. You know what I mean. You think everybody loves you, um, but but it, you you got to go through it the hard way, man. Like all these situations with the laser beam and all of that shit yeah. that he's got going on. No serious these, stuff. Yeah, yeah. All these people around him are are not the right people. You know what I'm saying? Um, because when you know when you get around the right people, they're gonna do stuff that are going that's gonna elevate you, not do stuff that's gonna jeopardize your career or do stuff that's gonna bring attention to you in a negative light. So you just gotta find your people. For me, I went from having a group of 10 to 12 guys that I would go to Vegas and be out in Cleveland and do all these things with, to me, Joe Mar and D. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And that's who I roll with now. You see me go to Vegas, you see me go to a fight, you see me go to anywhere, anytime, anything, is me, Joe Mar and D. And that's just, it's been like that for the last 20 years. And it happened that night that I got robbed. Wow. Was it was it actual conversations in the aftermath of that C, or was it just you kind of just not reaching out anymore and and just it, kind of silently breaking away? It was a little bit of both. I mean, obviously, when you grow up with kid with people, you have to have some kind of conversation. Um, didn't go well, you know what yeah. I'm saying? But yeah. it is what it is. I mean, you know, my dad was still alive at that point in my life, and we had a lot of long conversations about. You know, who I need to have around, who I don't need to have around. And I and I took his advice to heart. I didn't take it at to heart right then. But when he passed away a couple of years later, you know, I got all of the wrong people from uh, from around me. And, you know, I ended up having a 19 year career. But it, it wouldn't have been that if, you know, if I would have stayed on the same track that I was on when I was 19, 20, 21 years old. Yeah. Well, that is amazing perspective. And. I definitely hope that Ja is able to use this as a pivot point in his life to build the amazing career in life that is there for him to have. Because you're right, see, he is he's an incredible talent and his teammates glow about him as well, his coaches glow about him as well. So hopefully what he's dealing with now and and you know the the crowd he's 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 dealing with can uh can morph a little bit in the aftermath of this as he takes some time to to evaluate where he's at and and how to deal with uh I mean, you know his current place in life but if you think about like every athlete that's like a star like this that have come from the hood we've all dealt with something like this you know what i'm saying 
whether it was Melo or AI or whoever else, like street shit just is is just it just follows you when you're young. Like mm-hmm. you just don't know any other way. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like you've been in the streets so long and not even in the streets, you just that's just who you were around. You know what I'm saying? Like these are the people you grew up with, these are the people you were around, and you don't know how to pivot. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, hopefully uh this period of time he does <laughs> We'll see when he's back on a basketball court. Obviously, that feels uh, secondary now to him just getting his his life back. And this being addressed before something serious happened, because you've had a couple incidents now that feel like they were very dangerous. And and this is where that's where I was at when I when I I don't know what he's up to, but that's when I, when I checked myself in the rehab. I like I checked myself in before it was mandated, before I did something or hurt somebody, did something yeah. while I was drunk that, you know, I was spiraling out of control. And everybody was like, well, which, well what was your rock bottom? It was just me realizing that I, I couldn't stop. You know what I mean? Like I didn't, nothing catastrophic happened. I, you know, there wasn't anything that I couldn't, you know, fix. And and I was just lucky enough to be able to to be in that position and not be in a position where I had really broken some things and fucked some things up before I decided to get help. Yeah. Do, do you remember the moment you realized that, see, where you were like, wow, I can't, I, I don't have control, and that being your rock bottom? It was a long, it was way before I checked into rehab. I yeah. knew way, I knew probably 10 years before I checked into rehab that I needed to go to rehab, that I, that this was going to eventually be a problem. Yeah. And then in, and then that, that season with the Yankees was finally where you were like, okay, the yeah, in 15, yeah. it was just, you know, it was the, um, the, I had the picture out smoking weed on the balcony in uh, Atlanta. Then I got oh. into the, the big thing out in Toronto. It was it was all starting to fucking bubble to the surface. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you're so, like, before something really bad happens, I need I to I need to go get this. help. Yeah. 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 And well, hopefully that's where Ja is at. You know what I'm saying? Amen. I hope so. See, see that's going to do it uh, for this week's episode. Really great perspective there, man. And uh, we have some great guests coming up, a lot of really good baseball guests coming up uh, as we dive deeper into spring, get ready for opening day. We'll have Harrison Bader on soon, Carlos Rodon, uh, Christian Yelich, just to name a few, but a lot of, lot of interesting dudes coming up. You guys know the deal. New episodes every Thursday, bonus episodes as well. Make sure to rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and make sure to subscribe to our YouTube page. You can watch our episodes in full every week as well and of course that is free all of this is free see we'll do it again next week man peace peace